It's been at community, has it not? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, we're in the midst of our summer speaker tour, and what we've done is we've gone out to some of our friends who happen to be great communicators and thought leaders at the church, and we've kind of brought them to you uh, on Sunday mornings. And today, I have the privilege and the honor to introduce some of my favorite people in the world, Janet and Troy McMahon. Now, some of you will recognize Janet and Troy because back in the day, Not so long ago, they were on staff here. And just a little anecdote, Janet was on staff first. She was uh, on staff as a Kid City leader and a Stucco leader and others, and then they eventually hired Troy. He'll tell you all about that. What I want you to know about them is that they are the real deal. They walk the talk and they talk the walk about following Jesus. And so, yeah, give it up for them. They've been instrumental in my life. They were the couple that tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, man, I think God's going to do some things in you. Why don't you go to Kansas City and plant churches? And that's what we did in 2007. Under Troy's leadership, a group of us moved out, and we went to Kansas City, and we planted churches, and they'll tell you all about it. So I want you to welcome them, but here's, I need your help. I need you to really welcome them. Like, the the carpet's got to roll up. It gets so loud in here, okay? So in just a minute, I'll count one, two, three, and we'll welcome them with a great yellow box. Welcome. One, two, three. Oh, well, good morning, community. It is so good to be here. You know, I know this is this tense time. We've got a divided house. Some of you are Sox fans and some of you are Cubs fans. And the Sox are dominating the Cubs right now. So Dave is extremely happy. But hey, I just want to let you know, I feel like I'm at Wrigley Field, that this is the friendly confines. And it doesn't matter how well you play, you still get cheered. So it is so great to be here. My name is Troy McMahon and this is my wife, Janet. And up on the screen, we got a picture of our family. Uh, that's a picture that was taken a year ago today. My oldest son, Jake, married the beautiful Hannah Aldridge, so it's their one-year anniversary. It's a blessing for us to get to see them because they now live here in Chicagoland. And then you'll see the big, tall kid. That's my son, Mitch. He's a football player, going to be a senior this year at Washington University in St. Louis. And then my beautiful daughter, Judy Ann. She's 15, will be a sophomore in high school. They're such a joy to us. Uh, I'm the lead pastor at Restore Community Church in Kansas City. We are a New Thing Network church. Now, to kind of roll back the clock, our family started attending community in 1991. At that point in time, we'd relocated from the the East Coast outside of Washington, D.C. here to Chicagoland, and, and the church was meeting in Naperville Central High School in the cafeteria when we first started attending. And, and I came out here to be an engineer with General Mills. And I'll tell you, God did some cool things in our journey. So I'll never forget that first day at community. It was the day of the church picnic. And Troy, as an extrovert, was like, awesome. What a great day to be at church. We can go to the church picnic. We'll meet people. We're definitely going to the church picnic. And I am an introvert. And so I was like, there's no way we're going to the church picnic. 
We had our baby son, Jake, who was six months old at the time. I'm like, you know what? You're going to do what you do, and you're going to talk to everyone, and you're going to leave me standing by myself holding the baby. So we are not going to the church picnic. Our first fight. No, we had had multiple fights before that time. I mean, let's be honest, right? And so I start crying. Troy's rolling his eyes, saying I'm being ridiculous, and we go to the church picnic. And Troy talks to a lot of people, and he does what he does, and I stand and feel awkward. But I had no idea, actually, how that day would set some things in motion that would change the rest of our lives. Okay, so to make a long story short, we, like many of you, began attending community and uh, got invited into leadership. So we became uh, apprentice leaders, and then we got coached through the apprenticeship process, and then we became leaders. And then eventually, after a number of years being a part of this incredible community, this family, uh, Dave asked me if I would leave my job with General Mills and, and begin a new vocation as a pastor to help to launch the second location of community down in Romeoville, Illinois. So after lots of tears and prayers and wrestling through that decision, that's what we did. And I got to tell you, we, for 12 years, we were on staff here, and it was incredible that we literally had this front row seat to watch God change lives, watch God change eternities. And we were happy, and we were content and fulfilled. But then God does what God frequently does. He creates a disruption, and so we felt this prompting from God to, to be sent out from here to plant a, a New Thing Network church in Kansas City. So in 2007, uh, our family and about 20 others relocated to the northern suburbs of Kansas City to launch Restore Community Church. And I'll tell you, we're now seven years old, and we've got three locations. We've got a fourth one planned. We've been able to partner with you and with the New Thing Network to plant more than a dozen churches in Kansas City and across the country. And I got to tell you, everything that we've seen happen there was born right in this place, in this family, in this church. Now, I know we're trying to make a long story short, but there's so much more to that story. So I just want to tell one more thing. Okay. We have time. Okay. One more thing. Um, we'd been attending community for a while, and they said that they were going to have a baptism service. And so we decided that we wanted to go because this church was different than any church that we had ever been to. And so we went to the baptism service, and they were baptizing probably 25 people that night. And Troy and I honestly could not make eye contact because we were so emotional. We were weeping as each person was baptized and they were reading their story of how they had found their way back to God. And our, in, in our entire lifetime of church attendance, we had never seen that many people at one time share Jesus with their life and get baptized. And it was incredible. And when we got in the car on the way home, we looked at each other and we said, we've got to do anything we can to help people find their way back to God. And you know what? God must have taken us seriously because he's given us a lot of opportunities to do just that. So I just want to say thank you, community, for being the kind of church that changes lives. And I want to say thank you, Dave and John, for helping us find our way back to God and for teaching us how to help others find their way back to God. It's changed our entire lives. 
Well, we're glad that you're here today at Community. We're starting this brand new series uh, called Lake Effect. All right, as Patrick asked, how many of you have been to the lake this summer? Okay, go ahead, raise your hand. Uh, I tell you, I've been to the lake and love it. Uh, for the past 20 years, our family has kind of migrated back when we lived here in Chicago and also from Kansas City up to northern Minnesota. Janet's uh, parents have a lake house in a lake called Lake Vermilion. And I got to tell you, it's been my favorite week of the year. It, it's an incredible time for us to to be on the water, and I don't know what it is, something about being near the water, on the water, that gives you just a different perspective. It allows you to relax, slow down your mind, to, to be stretched, to dream. It's a transformational time. It was that as well for Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you look at the three-year ministry of Jesus, you're going to find that a significant chunk of that happened around a lake, Lake Gennesaret. You might have read about it in the Bible called the Sea of Galilee. And he did some life-changing things. As a matter of fact, if we go to our true source, the Bible, and we go to the first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, in the fourth chapter, there was this situation that occurred that Matthew would record. Here's what we read. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. And I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Now we could grab those couple verses right there and it just seems like a simple story. We could move on to the next. But I'll tell you, if you dive into it, it's not simple. Man, it is profound. Because in those verses, we're going to discover that there is this incredible journey on what it means to be a Christian and move to being a Christ follower. And there is a very important distinction it was a distinction that I began to understand 20 years ago, right here, just like you as part of this church. You see, I had spent many years being a Christian, but it was here when I was challenged by Dave and other speakers and leaders to change that and become a follower of Jesus. And there was a distinct difference for me. So today, we just got a couple simple challenges for you. Here's the first challenge. If you're here this morning and you consider yourself a Christian, or well, our goal is that you would decide this morning to stop being one. You heard me correct. If you walked in thinking, I'm a Christian, I hope by the end of the day you would say, I want to stop being one. And if you walked in here today and you're wrestling with these claims of Jesus as being the Son of God, as being a Lord or a Savior, my hope for you is this. If you don't consider yourself a Christian, our goal is that you would never become one. All right, you ready? Take it All away. Right. All right, when Jesus said, follow me, to Peter and Andrew, it was not like a cold call. It's not like he was a traveling salesman, and he says, hey, you guys, follow me, and they say, okay. No, for a while, before this conversation, Jesus had been hanging around the Sea of Galilee, and he was becoming pretty well-known, and he was becoming known for things like how he taught, for how he healed people, for the miracles he performed, and for the, the way he cast out demons. So at this time, I imagine these two brothers, they had heard some stuff about Jesus. Peter and Andrew knew who Jesus was. And this was not a sales call like, okay, you know what? Let's have you stop being fishermen and get in the religion business. It wasn't like that. No, this was a call that he was asking them to center their lives on following him. And from that moment on, 
these guys were Christ followers. Following Jesus would now define their whole lives. Follow me, when Jesus said it, it didn't mean change the belief part of your life now and believe new things. Follow me, me did not mean change the behavior part of your life and now do new things. Follow me meant change your whole lives and follow Jesus. See, here's some stats from a Gallup poll. 76% of the people in the United States would call themselves Christians. That's a lot of people. That's 242 million people. And there was a study done by the Barna Research Group. And the goal of the study was was to determine whether people who called themselves Christians have the actions and attitudes of Jesus or whether people who called themselves Christians had beliefs and behaviors of Pharisees. See, a Pharisee in Jesus' day was a religious leader. And Jesus had some kind of harsh words for the Pharisees. He challenged them. He said, you know what? You teach things, but you don't behave in the ways that you teach. And he challenged them. He said, look, I don't know if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. He had some pretty harsh words for the Pharisees. So the study was done to ask the question, do the people of the United States who call themselves Christians act mostly like Jesus or do they act mostly like Pharisees? And here's what the findings revealed. Over half of self-identified Christians in the United States are characterized by having attitudes and actions of Pharisees. And on the other end of the scale, 14% of self-identified Christians, just one out of every seven, seem to represent the actions and attitudes of Jesus. So today, Christian is what 76% of the people in the United States would call themselves. So apparently that means that you don't need to necessarily follow Jesus to call yourself a Christian. See, in our country today, you can call yourself Christian, and that really means maybe what you believe about God or Jesus. Maybe that means that you pray, and you pray maybe at dinner time and at bedtime. Or it means that maybe you go to church, well, at least occasionally. But if that's what a Christian means, I don't really think that this country needs more Christians. You know, what you can't find Jesus ever saying is interacting with somebody who says, I want you to become a Christian. No, Jesus simply said, I want you to follow me. And following Jesus never was just designed to be a part of your life. Following Jesus was designed to be your whole life. So this morning when you walked in, you should have received a card. So go ahead, grab your card, all right? Kind of wave it at me to make sure you got one. If you didn't get one, raise your hand. We've got the ushers, okay? Now, what we're going to have you do as part of the service is fill this card out. But don't start filling out yet. I want to just make sure you have one. Because today, before you get into I want to just dive into our true source, the Bible, to see if we can get some clarity of what it looks like to follow Jesus as we understand the story of Peter and Andrew. 
Back in Matthew, here's what we read again. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw these two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, and they were, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And then I love, right here we see, and at once they left their nets and they followed him. You see, what we understand from this is that if you and I are going to say yes to following Jesus, well, then what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to follow Jesus with our priorities. Now, Jesus is going to call each one of us to leave our nets. It may look different than the nets that Peter and Andrew left, but he's going to call us. Because, see, what he's going to say is, Troy, you're going to have to leave behind your identity. Troy, you're going to have to leave behind your security. Troy, you're going to have to revise your priorities if you really want to follow me. So my question for you today is, what's most important to you? If you looked in the mirror right now, what would you say makes you, you? Is it being a piano player or, or maybe a dentist or a student or a parent or an athlete or wealthy or poor or Democrat or Republican or single or married? You know, on that day just before Jesus challenged them, if he were to ask this to Peter and Andrew, they would have said, well, we're, we're fishermen. Those are the things that we tend to use to define us. But when we follow Jesus with our priorities, here's what we agree to. We agree to that everything that we allow to define us, those become secondary. Those become secondary to our main identity as a follower of Jesus. Now, if you think that Jesus just kind of went around on his three-year ministry tour and just challenged people to become nicer or, or more polite or to have certain beliefs, well, then I gotta be honest with you, you have not carefully read his authorized biographies of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because if you read those, what you're going to find is that Jesus made some radical, bold, and even harsh, shocking statements. Further along in Matthew, here's what he recorded Jesus saying. He said, if you love your father or mother more than you love me, well, then you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, then you're not worthy of being mine. Now, i got to be honest with you. As a parent, okay, who loves his parents and loves his kid, that's a bit offensive. But Jesus spoke these words in a culture that it was even more about the lineage of family than we are today. But because Jesus said that, here's the clarity. The clarity is that Jesus was declaring himself God. He was making this statement about his deity because he could make this statement because the only thing that should be above our family should be our relationship and our love for God. Jesus calls us to this radical redefinition of what we, who we are and what we will live and die for. I love throughout the Gospels that they record it in different words, but, but what they, they find is that Jesus said this. He says, if you cling to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, oh, you will find it. See, that sums up the difference between being a Christian and being a Christ follower. A Christian holds on to part so tightly, trying to save it, where a Christ follower is risking the whole thing. When I think about risking the whole thing, I'm reminded of the time in our lives when God asked us to risk Troy's career and future financial security. 
And when Troy said yes to Dave's invitation, well, he really said yes to God's invitation because when Dave speaks, it's kind of like God. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, actually, God just used Dave to talk to Troy. So when Troy said yes to God's invitation to leave his promising career and his future financial security, Troy's priorities changed. And I got to be honest with you, it freaked me out. But that's a story for another day. Certainly not everything has been easy since that time for us. But now, nearly 20 years later, I can say that it has been a phenomenal adventure. Our whole lives have shifted because we decided to move from being Christians to following Jesus. And we don't get this right every day. I mean, there's moments that pass us by when God prompts us and we don't necessarily obey. I just want to keep it real for you. But the idea is this. The idea is we've decided to make a commitment to saying yes to whole life following. And this means following Jesus with our priorities. And it also means following Jesus with our passions. See, here's the deal on this one. What you care about influences your behavior more than what you believe. Let me see if I can explain it this way. About a year ago, my lovely wife of 28 years fulfilled my dream of 28 years to own a Harley. You're welcome. I don't know why she did it, but I thank her every day. Now, here's the truth. I know that motorcycles are dangerous. So if I walk out and say, Troy, do you know motorcycles are dangerous? I will say, yes, I do. As a matter of fact, I know that in 2013, 56 of every 100,000 registered motorcycles had a fatality. I know if you compare that to automobiles, it was nine out of every 100,000. So yes, motorcycles are more dangerous than cars. I know that fact. I believe that statistic. But I care about the wind in my face. I care about the freedom of the ride. I care about the joy it gives me on country roads throughout northwest Missouri. <laughs> so the truth is this. I care about that. You see, sometimes what we care about is even more important than what we believe to be true. All right, you can continue. Okay. <laughs> A little sidebar there, huh? Yeah. I'll be All riding right. Tomorrow. <laughs> it's really true. Emotion plays a much bigger role in how we make decisions than the information or belief that's in our head. In his book, How We Decide, Jonah Lair writes this. He says, emotion and motivation share the same Latin word, movere, which means to move. See, the world is full of things, and it's our feelings that help us choose among them. What we care about, what we're passionate about, it ends up driving us to action more than what we believe. So to be a Christ follower means that we care about the things that Jesus cared about, and Jesus always cared about people. There's so many times in the Bible, so many examples where Jesus was on his way somewhere, or he was going to do something, and he saw people. And this is what happened. He saw the people and he was filled with compassion. And that compassion drove him to respond. And he acted and he helped and he forgave and he touched and he invited and he loved. See, Christians, they're defined by what they believe. But Christ followers were defined by what we care about. 
So being a Christ follower means following Jesus with our priorities. It means following Jesus with our passions. And it means following Jesus with our actions. There's a direct relationship between our passion and our initiative. The more passionate you are about something, the more likely you will be proactive. To be a follower of Jesus means not only to care about what Jesus cares about, but it means going where Jesus is going. See, the Greek, the original language of the New Testament, every word for follow me is an action-oriented word. It's about purposeful, physical action. See, the followers in the early followers in the New Testament, they were following Jesus literally, physically around. And when Jesus says, go, they would go. See, Christians define spiritual maturity by how much they know. And Christ followers define spiritual maturity by how willing they are to go. And when that space between knowing what we're supposed to do and doing it, going, becomes less and less and less, that means we are becoming more mature in our relationship to Jesus. So how willing are you to act on what you know? It's hearing and obeying. I love how Don Everett puts it. He wrote a book called uh, Jesus with Dirty Feet. Here's how he sums up this whole journey of Peter and Andrew. He says, Jesus was not a Christian. He never asked anyone to become a Christian. He never built a steepled building. He never drew a theological treatise, never took up an offering, never wore religious garments, never incorporated for tax purposes. He simply called people to follow him. That's it. That, despite its simplicity, is it. He called people to follow him. Peter and Andrew's theology was as pure as it gets. Jesus said, follow me, and that's what they did. 20 years ago, uh, when I began to make the move from this journey of being a Christian to becoming a Christ follower, something forever shifted in me. My priorities shifted from Troy, this guy who measured his value on how much money he could make, to Troy, a Christ follower. From Troy, whose identity was built in what he was doing vocationally and the success that he had, to Troy, a Christ follower. And just when I was getting comfortable and feeling fulfilled in this new journey, God moved again. He moved us from this incredible, awesome family, this church, to launch a brand new church in Kansas City. So now we get to do set up and tear down every week in a high school yet again. I'm having building envy, folks. (laughs) This place is awesome. But see, it's not the big moves. Now I realize we share our story. Now most of you, God's not going to prompt to leave your vocation and start a church or do vocational ministry. Some of you in this room, he will be asking to do exactly that. But for most of us, this journey from being a Christian to Christ follower is going to be obedience in the little things. Is God prompting you in some relationship to talk to that person, to call to that person, to reach out to that person that's in the neighborhood or the cubicle next to you or the locker next to you at school? Is he challenging you to open up your dinner table to someone else to experience a meal that you get a chance to talk about life and significance? 
Or maybe it's as simple as obedience of getting off the couch and heading off to small group. It is the little things. And the truth is, even for me, honestly, sometimes it's the little things that are the hardest. So here's my challenge for you today. Go ahead. Grab your commitment card. I want you to fill this out. I want to challenge you today is, what is God challenging you to do as you're making this step from being a Christian to fully following Jesus? Maybe today it's the very first time that you've been wrestling with the claims of Jesus and you're ready just to submit your life say, yes, I believe that Jesus is both Lord and Savior. Maybe today you're ready to take that step to go public with your faith and be baptized because it is a marker event in the life of every Christ follower. But I believe that every person here has a next step, some next step, and it may be having to do something within your home. It may be having to do within your family, at your workplace, at the third place where you hang out. If you look at your card, you'll notice it says, yes, I commit to being a Christ follower. And there's a couple boxes there, but there's also this big gap of space. The band's going to have a song called Just As I Am that they're going to play here in just a minute. And during that song, man, I just want to give you some space to let God speak to you. What is your next step? Will your first step of obedience is just to admit it honestly to you? This is my next step. This is the step I want to take to move from Christian to Christ follower. Be obedient and let God take you on a journey that will change you. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you so very much that God, as we walk into this room, we know that every one of us, we are broken, that we are sinful, and that sometimes, God, we're even running away from you. And God, there is absolutely nothing we could do that could ever change anything about us that would make you love us more, that we're holy and completely loved just as we are. But God, we know that you love us too much to let us stay there. That God, that's why you build community around us to prompt us, to convict us, to encourage us, to take bold steps of faith. That's why you've given us your Holy Spirit inside us, sometimes just to comfort us, sometimes just to whisper to us. Sometimes, God, it's to tear back the, the callousness we have in our heart and our soul. God, wherever you have us, I just pray that your spirit and this community would rally around one another to challenge us to take steps of bold faith. God, not so that we could be made famous, but so that you and your son Jesus would be made famous, not just on a Sunday morning in this incredible place, but God, as we take you out to our neighborhoods, our cul-de-sacs, our streets, our workplaces, to the YMCA, to the health club, to the coffee shop, every place that we go, God, that you are sending us out to live as followers of you because we are in step with your spirit. We hear and we obey. And God, when you give us this front row seat to watch you change eternities, we promise to raise our eyes to heaven, our hands to the sky, and give you the praise and the glory and the honor because it's only because of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.